welcome to Who Won the Year? Uh, the year we're doing is 1978. I love this year, boys. I love it. But first of all, uh, how you going, Nick? Very well, Paddy. I too love this year. Yep. And Cam, how's things? Loving 1978 in a way I haven't oh. since I was four. Okay, mm. so my first question is, to Nick, where were you in 1978? So I was living in Melbourne and I'd just begun my very first year of formal edu- education. Yeah, doing... I was going to say, living in Melbourne so it makes it sound like it was your choice. <laughs> well, I feel that we should live in Melbourne. Doing, doing prep at um, St Mary's uh, Catholic School. Oh, and I should have said, I'm Paddy. I think I've forgotten to introduce myself in every single podcast so far. So, Cam, whereabouts were you? I would have been in Canberra. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we just moved in into what would have been our family home for many, many decades afterwards. Well, two two decades afterwards, mm-hmm. but it was a big deal um, for us because you know we were our, my parents were pretty middle class, right? Mm. And you? Uh, I was. Uh, I had been. I'd been living in Papua New Guinea for two years. By then, uh, I was going to Baroko East High School. High school? Uh, yeah, did I say yeah. high school? Yeah, yeah, that's 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 the way I roll. Where he remained for 30 <laughs> years. Uh, Baroko East Primary School, and I was playing a lot of football and a lot of cricket. That's pretty much my world. I was pretty mm. happy with that. So your interests really have moved on a lot. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, I don't spend so much time obsessing about cricket as I did then, but, mm. you know, I can reopen that window. Mm. But certainly football. Uh, in fact, talking football, 1978, it was an important year for football. It was the World Cup held in Argentina. Mm, it yeah. was. So as soon as 1978 came up on Ramon, the uh, random g- number generator, I got very excited just on that basis alone. In terms of who won the year, we normally throw out a few names, some mm. ideals. I want to chuck in a uh, a winner to to start the conversation off, and I'm looking directly at you, Mr. Cameron. Mm-hmm. Taito won the year in 1978. Really? Taito invented space invaders. Oh, space invaders! Now let me give you some background on this. Space invaders, obviously, huge game. Full stop. Certainly. Huge game, 1978, which was created. One of the first Japanese games. There have been a lot of American uh, games before then. Here's a couple of things that I've uh, come across in my research. Space Invaders first started off, in terms of its concept, as a fish shooting game. Fish, F-I-S-H. It didn't turn out that way, but that's how it started. However... In 1977, if you permit me just to step a little back from mm. 1978, Star Wars came out. Have you heard of Star Wars, Ken? No. Uh, yeah, what's what's the genre? <laughs> it's, it's kind of, uh, yeah, it's kind of Western, <coughs> Western Space meets opera? kids' movies. Uh, it, it's kind of destabilized the whole 1970s uh, Isaac Asimov uh, science fiction journey, but let's, let's leave that to the side. So... Star Wars, Star Wars changed everything. Huge amount of pop culture is based around Star Wars, uh, the way we made films, merchandising, etc., etc. 
The impact on the fish shooting game was that it became Space Invaders. Mm. And Space Invaders was a launching pad for a number of different games, but it was the arcade game, and many would argue that it is still the arcade game, holds a... And for, for myself, who is not a computer, a computer person, who is not a games, <laughs> who's not a games person, I, I still have mm. a love for Space Invaders. So well, Space... I was going to say, Space Invaders created such a phenomenon that Japan ran out of the coins that you put into hmm. Space Invaders that to quadruple their supply of <laughs> 10 yen coins. Yeah. yeah. Good yeah, times. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of football, do you know who didn't win 1978? Speaking of football, yeah. All right. Yeah. The Socceroos, Australia's uh, football team. Did not win a single game in the year 1978, <laughs> the yeah, only awesome. year in the past 50, unless they, <laughs> right. in which they didn't win a single game. They just didn't win in 1978. Is that the they year? played a three-game series against Greece in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. They drew one game, lost two, and that was it. That was that was football in a World Cup year. Okay, so the Socceroos died in 78. I'm going to give you a few more deaths in 78. Keith Moon, uh, Nancy Spungen. Who? Uh, oh, you don't know who? Oh, oh mm. let me just step right into that. Um, she was uh, Sid Vicious's girlfriend, uh, and mm. she was stabbed to death in that particular year in a New York hotel by Sid Vicious. Uh, that was the end of the Sex Pistols. That was also a year of their last gig. They had. Mm. He was convicted for that. Uh, I, yeah. It's, um, I they, yeah. Anyway, so that was the the seventies. Was that Sex Pistols era? Also, just before we get into the disco era, uh, Jacques Brel, who is a significant French uh, singer songwriter use a very sort of now term. He also died in, in 78. But, yeah, at the same time, it was a really interesting period of music because at the same time that punk was was uh, absolutely at its zenith, um, disco just was was huge. So mm. the Bee Gees, I think that, that was their biggest year in 78. Staying alive. And Grease, and I'm just going to link Grease the movie to the disco era. Um, Travolta Newton John that was also released in '78 and was the highest grossing movie of the year. Is that right? It was okay, yeah. wow. But actually, in terms of impact on popular culture, mm. the m- most probably important film of the year was in third place. In third place, in pl- third place was Superman, oh, the thought, very first. I thought there was a movie in third place. No, that no, I hadn't third heard. place in the box office rankings. Yeah, yeah, Superman. Superman, right. the very first modern yes. superhero movie. Christopher Reeve. Christopher Reeve. Do you remember mm. seeing that? Yeah. Like I remember, just that was mm. the biggest thing. That was bigger than Star Wars for me. That was just huge. I think what was shocking about that movie for me, because I was really young, was Lois. No spoiler. Yeah. Lois Lane yeah. dies, mm. right? Yeah. And she dies yeah. in actually quite a like a graphic and her, like a pretty um, tragic way. Like she drowns in dirt, right? And that's where Superman loses his marbles and decides to take the you know sane step of reversing the Earth's orbit. When's the last time you saw this? 
this is like common knowledge. You walk down any no, street. I know it, but I hadn't thought it through with an adult mindset. Mm. You, you could I mean? walk down any street and ask any adult <laughs> or child, I would say, and say, can you tell me what, what really? Superman did to um, I, I save that, Lois Lane? You're not going to say which Superman? I think no. you walk we, different we've streets to it. Clearly. Yeah. But no, remember he, he reversed yeah, no, the rotation I, of the I earth. absolutely remember that. But I remember that through the prism of the child's eyes, and I don't remember the death of Lois Lane. Well, because remember, like she's like in the car, it's yeah, getting no, crushed, exactly. and like the but dirt's going in her mouth, and she can't breathe. Yeah. I, was, I was, that stressed me out. I watched yeah. Star Wars wow. with a smile, smile on my face, and people <laughs> killed everywhere, yeah. arms chopped off. This is hilarious, right? You know, my mum choked to death. Choked to death. I can't handle my that. Mum too much. Was in the anti-Star Wars camp because she thought it was scaring me too much. Mm. Right. Have you seen it yet? (laughs) No, I'm still alive. (laughs) I'm still waiting for permission. (laughs) Bring a note. Yeah. 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 So I've got this. We're warming up to my favorite nominations Mm. of the year. But um, one one of my favorites was it's unusual that the decision not to invent something um, is historically significant. I give you that Jimmy Carter in 1978, other, you know, often regarded as an unremarkable president, decided not to go ahead with the large-scale manufacturer of the neutron bomb, which is a particularly unpleasant weapon that killed people but Mm. but left buildings intact, and he legalised home brewing. Yes. Really? Yes. He had a good year. Did he do anything else? Is that the only two things? He dropped. He dropped his mic and went home after those two. Well, he never got the chance, right? Because the same year, Tehran lost its marbles, right, and had their revolution. Yeah. Mm. And so he had other things to worry about in seventy eight. Yeah, which did Um, tend to. Yeah, and and it it didn't, you know, go well for him. We know how that ends, right? And there's the failed hostage rescue attempt, partially not his fault, but um, yeah. Doesn't go well. I've seen Argo. They got yeah, okay. <laughs> it was a weird year for things like that. Like mm. things that weren't particularly anybody's faults, but were just as I was researching it, just events keep popping up that were just strange and uh, never seemed to reach any conclusion. Georgi Markov, a Bulgarian dissident, was murdered in London with an umbrella that carried a poison pellet. Mm. They believe it was by the KGB. They never quite got to the end of that. Bulgarian Secret Service thought the KGB were involved. The KGB has always denied it. Well, then, just to – this is obviously related mm-hmm. um, to that particular crime. Uh, Bob Crane, Hogan of Hogan's Heroes, mm. yeah. found bludgeoned to death <laughs> in his apartment that same year. Coincidence? I don't think so. <laughs> Would it be the same coincidence that led to the death of Pope John Paul <laughs> after just a month in in Popeness? What did he die of? Like that seems to have thirty three days on the on the top job seems a bit frustrating. I believe it's uh, it was it was stress of the job for mm. thirty three days. Yeah, apparently that's how it was sold to me. The explanation by my parents. Oh. Who seem to be popping up in this podcast all over the place, but in my defence, that is, uh, they were the 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 great influencers influences in my life, along with uh, now Kim Kardashian. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
So I don't, as, as interesting as that was, one that really got me was the, the Sydney Hilton bombing. Yep. Mm. Which, you know, I sort of knew about because it's a reasonably famous incident that somebody tried to, um, well, somebody did let off a bomb in the proximity of the Australian Prime Minister. But sort of the more I read about the story, I had no idea about the, the details of it. So who, Talk was us through prime, it. who was the Prime Minister at that time? So Malcolm Fraser was Prime Minister mm-hmm. at the time, but he wasn't, he wasn't the target. The target was the Indian Prime Minister who was oh, wow. in town for uh, the Commonwealth Heads of Government Regional Meeting, and he was the target by members of an Indian sect called Anada Marga, which had been founded by an Indian railway worker um, six years before, but and it was one of these free love and yoga type sex, except it kind of somewhere in the mid seventies, it went from yoga to planning acts of violence against members of the Indian government, because the founder of the sect was in jail for conspiracy to murder six people. Mm. So it sort of it had sort of already gone a bit. That's quite the transformation. Bit, a bit wacky. Um, so they'd already murdered um, uh, the Indian defence attaché. He'd been stabbed to death in in a Sydney street um, and attempted another act of violence against uh, an Indian uh, visiting Indian official. And this was sort of the the big event, which thankfully didn't go didn't go as planned otherwise it would could have seriously killed several commonwealth leaders it did kill two um street sweepers and uh and a policeman um but the the murder one of the frustrating things about it was that azio had this entire sect infiltrated for three years beforehand um but refused to share information with the then infamous uh, New Zealand, uh, sorry, New South Wales Special Branch because they quite correctly regarded them as being extremely corrupt. Mm, they yeah, were they, quite they corrupt. were found to be much corrupt, uh, yeah. very corrupt. Extremely yeah. corrupt. Yeah. So they refused to share information yeah. even though they probably did have advance warning of a, a bombing attack in central I know so uh, little about this. Yeah. Absolutely and so little at, about this. So despite being infiltrated for ASIO for three years, <laughs> they arrested three people, but the the case fell apart due to discredited evidence. And it was only 11 years later when somebody walked into a police station and confessed to a crime that somebody was seriously jailed for it. And now that person who spent eight years in jail for it now denies... Um, that he did it and said it was all an ASIO conspiracy. Wow. Right. Wow, that's crazy. That's a, that is a very m- modern and weird conspiracy for 1978. <laughs> that seems very um, out of character for how I imagine Australia 1978 was. Yeah. Mm. Like that yeah, sort of level of terror- terrorist Violence, political violence, international. and act, yeah, yeah. yeah, international espionage. Oh, weird, yeah. weird hippie sect gone yeah. wrong. It's gone really like, wrong. I just imagine yeah. these people in their sects, like you know, asking Australians in pubs, "Hey, do you want to join this?" I'm like, oh, I don't know, man. Who could be bothered? Yeah. What are you worried about? Very much still in its in its sort of monocultural, monolingual naivete. Naivete. But look, I'll take your sect 
and I'm going to raise you. I'm going to raise you a cult. Mm, yes. Yeah. So, yes. Uh, 78 in Jonestown, Guyana, 918 people died in a mass suicide. Think that through. 918 mass suicide. That is one hell of a pull by the cult leader. Mm. Cult leader was the Reverend Jim Jones. And he ordered his followers to murder a U.S. congressman and mm. several journalists and then commit mass suicide by drinking cyanide-laced fruit punch. I mean, Kool-Aid. Fruit punch. Kool-Aid. Fruit punch. Well, this is it. This is where the drink of Kool-Aid came from. Mm. Yeah, because it was Kool-Aid. Yeah. That's, that's the American cordial. It's the largest. Um, before 9-11, it was the largest single incident of in, intentional civilian death in American history. It's really bonkers. As I'm reading through it, I'm just like, the mind boggles at the pull that one person has over so many people. Like, I I can kind of conceive of how a cult works with a handful of people, Mm. but a thousand people, Mm. this is, I was about to say it's crazy, which, yes, it is. Is it just as hard in 2019 to run a cult as it was back then? I feel like there's... There's too much exposure to too many ideas now to pull off anything like that anymore. Mm. It's not a, It's half as impressive, and it, it didn't work because it hasn't lived on in history as much. But so the African National Congress, who were <coughs> in a pitch battle with the uh, South African um, apartheid regime, attempted to kill 500 of its members through p- poisoning which they weren't aware of. What, really? The ANC? Yeah. The ANC attempted to kill 500 of its members because it was so worried about being infiltrated, which it had been, mm-hmm. that it, it just decided that several members of the group decided to try and kill 500 people via poisoning to get rid of the infiltrators. <laughs> that, that's really cleaning out your organisation. Yeah. That's, that's, that's some change management right there. Well, no, actually, that's some change. Take a There's no management. management. No. It takes quite some change management to leave that on. All right. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steer it away from the, the death and awfulness of which there was quite – and weirdness of which there was quite a bit in 78. And I'm going to nominate another person to have won 1978, Louise Brown. Anyone know of Louise Brown? Oh, this was, this was going to be one of my no- nominations as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, she's uh, a – Louise Brown was born on the 25th of July, 2.6 kilograms, mm. beautiful, healthy baby girl. She was the first IVF baby. Uh, she was also the 300, well, not exactly 301st, but they'd tried 300 times previously uh, to, to get it to succeed. And they got just the particular set of circumstances of her mother naturally ovulating and yeah. of th- getting the timing just right um, to fertilize uh, the egg. But had years of frustrating and un- unsuccessful experiments finally succeeded. Yeah. So I tip my hat to uh, Louise Brown. I hope she's doing okay. Uh, well, does she is. Know? I read, yeah. a, I read a recent profile. She um, On Facebook? No. She's, <laughs> um, she's living as... Uh, un, as remarkably unremarkable uh, life as you could want. Yeah. Uh, she works at a, a freight company in uh, uh, Kent uh, and has in two... In England, in the UK? In the UK, oh. has two kids herself. But, uh, but I think 
she's she's almost um my nomination of the year because she is the first of eight million children who've been born through IVF since then. Yep, I love it. I love it so much. When I when I read about it, she was absolutely going to be one of them. Uh, I you know when you look at nineteen seventy eight, you you start to like. There's a lot of post colonial um you know independence mm-hmm. and there's also still you know leftover bubblings of you know communists and you know you know socialists and red mm. this and whatever else you know there's still an argument over the isms mm. that are going to rule um you know the world and then we're still working that out communism one right yeah mm. yes spoiler come on <laughs> uh, but i came across a weird group of winners i don't know mm. okay and that is the people who, the farmers who live around what is now Tokyo International Airport, Narita International Airport, right? Yeah. So in the 60s, Japan decides we need a major airport somewhere near the capital, right? Mm. Seems and reasonable. Seems reasonable. But remember in the 60s, flight is, is still… This Narita? Yes. Yeah. Flight is still a, either a thing for the uber rich mm. overall, or you know the military, right? Yeah. And so um, when they're fishing around, they're not, like locals, when they say, "Hey, you know, congratulations, your neighbourhood has been selected to be where we're going to build an airport." These mm-hmm. days, people are hearing jobs and growth, right? Yeah. Or maybe they are, mm. but back then, they're like, no, I don't want, to, I don't want that. You know, mm. I, there's nothing to do with me. So they pick this first option, uh, and. The farmers who live there go ballistic and say, you can't take our land, right? Mm. It's private land. So um, through a little bit of dodginess, the Japanese government decides, you know what? There's an imperial farm. It's owned by the emperor, a horse uh, paddock, basically. We'll put it there because almost half of all the land is imperial and we can just take it. The emperor's cool with it. No worries. So then the first group who had had the airport moved away from them said hey to the second group hey you shouldn't accept it we didn't accept it right then the leftist student group in japan which was actually quite strong mm. right communist you know collectivist type people get you know into the same group as these farmers who are effectively capitalists saying you can't take our land we have produced on this land mm. opposite ideologies right to fight this airport right the uh the protesters had Thousands of people turn up on the building site and destroy property. Right? Mm. All the equipment used to build an airport, they really? said, no, we're taking right. it all, right? They built forts. And I don't mean your Namby, Pamby, French peasant forts where they just get furniture and pile it in the street. Proper Japanese Proper Japanese, like on hills yeah. with metal and welding equipment, right? <laughs> it's a proper tower, right? And they, they arm it, right? Mm. Uh, police were killed. Officials were killed. You don't think of Japanese mm. farmers mm. like being this hardcore about it, right? And uh, in the end, the police stormed the place. You know, more and more people are killed. Um, and they had to set up around the perimeter of what is now Narita Airport anti-terrorist, um, you know, fences and uh, you know, walls and a, like you know, buses of uh, anti-terrorist troops that just mm. circle the airport constantly to this day to make sure the peasants don't rise up and try to seize back yeah. their land. I reckon that that's kind of a win for. Don't mean that's a loss, but it's kind of a win for the little guy. I suppose so. I mean, well, in a in a similar vein, there was a Marxist coup in Afghanistan. The president, uh, Daoud Khan, was killed, and they established the Democratic Republic of Afghan- Afghanistan, which remains a peaceful and prosperous place to this day. <laughs> I was going to say, it didn't last terribly long, did it? Yeah. Not so much, no. Because I think when they established that, they killed 
one or two Soviets, which led mm. to then the Soviets going, well, you know, we need to do stuff about this. Yeah. Talking peaceful and prosperous, I want to take you to a different part of the world. And um, I, we, we mentioned the Socceroos, which I got very excited about. And uh, I mentioned Argentina, which I also got very excited about. And I want to keep going with Argentina. In 1978, sit back, by the way, boys. In 19, settle in. Uh, I've been waiting to talk about this for a while. I'll try and keep it short. In 1978, Argentina hosted the World Cup. Argentina, big, big deal. Big deal, huge deal. Uh, up till that point, uh, obviously, we know Argentina and Brazil are big football rivals. Brazil with Pele have been winning uh, World Cups. Like it was, uh, like it was, it like was they were Uruguay. To do, like they were Uruguay. Like that, it was just a fun thing to do. Argentina hadn't won anything. They were desperate to win. In '78, they won the World Cup. Now, they won uh, against Holland, and uh, Holland had had uh, had lost for the second tournament running in terms of the final. Mario Kempis sealed uh, sealed the triumph. Uh, Luis Men- Menotti was the manager. All of this is is known. There's a little bit of controversy about the Argentina World Cup. Yeah, a little? A little bit of controversy. Mm. So let's just go through a few of these controversial things. But these are this isn't what I want to talk about. This isn't... Well, there is a nomination for who won the year in here. Okay, in the second round... Argentina needed to beat Peru by four goals. They won six nil. Mm. Mm-hmm. To this day, there are a lot of theories. As Smell to of what fish. Happened. There's been a lot of interviews. There's a lot of the, the the strongest theory, the biggest speculation is that there was an arrangement between the governments of Argentina and Peru on some political prisoners. Whatever happened. 6-0 is an extraordinary uh, scoreline. I mentioned Argentina played Holland. Holland's greatest ever player was in that Dutch side. He did not go to the World Cup, Johan Cruyff. 30 years later, he revealed that he'd been, he and his wife, his family, had been, um, uh, had been kidnapped, for want of a better word. Um, essentially he had said that he'd had a gun at his head and his wife had been tied up. He didn't reveal at the time why he wasn't going to the World Cup, but uh, th- like I said, 30 years later he said... 1978 was crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was bonkers. Um, and it goes it goes more than that. Uh, General Omar Actis was the chairman of the organising committee. He was uh, assassinated before the competition began, mm. uh, allegedly because he was set to speak out about the escalating costs of the tournament. All of this craziness was sent against the backdrop of Argentina. Mm. Argentina was run by General Jorge Rafael Videla, a, a military junta whose human rights violations were mind-blowingly horrendous. Mind-blowingly horrendous. It was quite common for people to be pulled off the street taken away for long periods of time uh there was there was a lot of stories allegations of torture and um 
there were supposedly clandestine torture centres, but they were very well known, and, and still to this day people talk about the the various torture centres. But I want to I want to nominate Ezekiel Valentini in the Estadio Monumental in the final of the World Cup. The goalposts at the base of the goalposts are painted black. Ezekiel Valentini was the groundsman of uh, the Estadio Monumental, and he took it upon himself to paint the base of the goalpost black as a protest against the what, huh. uh, what are called the disappeared people who have been taken away by the military junta and uh, and tortured, and this was his way of of protesting, of making a statement to the world about the disappeared. Nothing was said about it. It was only after a journalist, a British journalist, had noticed as he was watching the World Cup that it was the the base of the posts were painted black mm. and went on a um, went on an expedition to find out why. And there's a really great article about it in The Guardian. That's a great story. Yeah. Look, it's not it's not my favourite nomination, but I do think it's it's worth mentioning the the fifty three people who uh, were arrested following um, after they uh, violently uh, re- resisted arrest um, with their hands and heads um, uh, from damaging police batons uh, at the end of a uh, international homosexual solidarity march in Sydney. Wow. Um, uh, those 53 people arrested had their names, addresses, and occupations published in the Sydney oh. Morning Herald a couple wow. of days later. In 1978, a number of those people lost their jobs, and such the Sydney Mardi Gras was born. Well, wow. the same hey, year, nice San Francisco one. actually um, wrote legislation basically making it okay to be gay. Mm. That same year, so that, I mean, those two cities mirror each other yeah, in so many that, interesting ways. Sydney, Sydney was yep. very much inspired by that. Yep. You know, I'll take that. I'll take the Mardi Gras as the uh, winner of nineteen seventy-one. I, I was quite keen mm. on Louise Brown, actually. Okay, yes, yeah, so that's a big yeah, breakthrough yeah, too. Mm. Mm. No, I support both those. Let's we'll call not it a draw. Ezekiel uh, Valentini, who I did not mm. know about, and I think just did mm. uh, a very, very subtle and powerful protest. And not the Socceroos. Mm. Not the Socceroos. Well, thanks, lads. Uh, that was Who Won the Year. Mm. It was another podcast I very that, much enjoyed. That was Nixon. that was 1978. So I've consulted with Ramon, the random yeah, number generator, yep. and we're up for 1962 next week. 62. Mm, oh, I like 62. 62. Mm. I like 62 a lot. All right. Thanks, fellas. Have and, we had uh, a worrying number of even numbers so far? Ramon cares not for your patterns. Okay. (laughs) I'm seeing through the looking glass. Thanks very much, boys. See you next week. Thanks, Paddy. Thanks, Cam. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Paddy.